Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm your host, Claire Lynch, and in this episode, I talk to conversion copywriter and remote worker Robbie King. In his previous life as a London ad agency guy, Robbie successfully used some outlandish ways to win the attention of creative directors, and he agreed to help three listeners with creative ideas for winning clients. If you're a copywriter looking to nail your dream client, stay tuned to pick up some strategies. So, Robbie, tell me what kind of work you do. What kind of clients you help? Well, as a copywriter, fo- focusing on CRO, conversion rate optimization, I, yeah, I, I improve the conversion rate on everything from websites to emails um, to landing pages. It's, it's, it's essentially salesmanship in print. For um, listeners who aren't familiar with this word, conversion, what does that mean? Well, conversion is basically the last thing that, uh, happens in the sales process it's it's the it's the moment when you buy basically if you picture a funnel you've got generating your large amount of potential customers at the top of the funnel the wide bit of the funnel generating leads and then as that funnel sort of narrows down the amount of people that are eventually going to buy the product is you know smaller than the than the bunch of people coming in at the top of the funnel because plenty of people sort of you know, they 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 drop off. They decide they don't buy, and then the conversion is the bit right at the bottom of the funnel where the people that have thought, "Yes, I want this product," they they go ahead and buy. So I essentially write words that are there for people at the bottom of the funnel to just basically tip them over the edge and go, "Yes, this is this is my thing." So, what kind of things are they buying? In other words, what kind of clients are you providing these words for? Well, I've written, I'm a generalist copywriter, uh, so I've written stuff for, for backpack companies, olive oil companies, uh, c- consulting firms. So, yeah, any, anywhere, any client that I, that I think I can help, I, um, I, I do help. I mean, I'm actually in the process of, of niching down. I've just got my first blockchain client. So what is the one thing that you do for them that that links all those clients together? I suppose what is what is the big secret to conversion copy? It's it's all about knowing your audience as as be- better than they know themselves. I I would say you you need to know what their potential objections are to buying a product and have have reasons to combat those those objections that's 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 a large part of it and and it's it's essentially it's i i almost think that copywriting is is the wrong word for it it's copywriting i'd say has the kind of copywriting that i do has more in common with at times method acting than anything else in that you are you're 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 getting inside the head of your prospect you are you're trying to to be them as much as you can um so that you can understand why they may or may not buy something and that the words are almost almost secondary i think i think it's all it's all about the research and then and and just empathizing with your target audience i i totally agree i think the the large part of copywriting yes is about empathy and it's about thinking through a problem how do you go about researching these targets in the age of the internet uh it's 
it's it's a lot easier than it probably used to be because people are very happy to to shout online people people love leaving comments on amazon people love love tweeting about things um i mean there are plenty of other ways but the the, the kind of the easiest way to find out about your audience is 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 just to find out look, look where they're talking like i on a on a brief that I was working on recently, I um, I was working with a client who they they'd done some customer interviews and they they had they had some data on their on their audience, but I I thought well, you know we need we need to know know a little bit more here. I'd like to know a little bit more here, so I I went on Amazon and there are a hundred plus reviews about about their product and yeah I'd, I I I'm, I'm not sure if, if the client was aware of this, but there's there's almost too much information out there, and and that's that's just what's kicking around online. The real the real holy grail of of customer insight will still always be be interviews, but they are of course they need to be set up. They need to be you know you, you need you need to get a bunch of willing customers who are happy to to sacrifice half an hour and an hour of their time. So that those those are those are my two favorite ways of i think of finding out about my audience what have people just offered online and then what what do people say in person and of course these days um, since we give so much away online that allows people like you to work remotely because you can do all that research from the beach from the jungle or wherever you are and uh, so do you want to tell me how that works, what a typical day yes. looks like. Yes, I have pretty much for the sake of it, deliberately worked at a beach, literally on a beach. And one, one thing I should say about working remotely, a lot, of, a lot of people see the coconuts by the beach and the working in paradise kind of thing. And it's actually, it's actually very impractical to do all the things that a lot of people dream of. Like I, for the most part, my work, takes place in as as much of an office-like setting as I can. There are there are co-working spaces all over the world. I work from co-working spaces in Bali and Southeast Asia, and one, you know one in the States the other day, and and they are all made to be as officey as possible. Sometimes I work from cafes, but the whole yeah the whole uh, coconuts by the beach thing. I think anyone who is doing that is uh, maybe not getting too much work done. Well, you can't see your screen for a start because the yeah. sun's so bright. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not good ergonomically to be sat in a deck chair. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who wanted to live that remote working dream? Yes. Um, I'd say the, the, the advice that has, has probably been the, the most useful to me it was all was all taken from a book I read by Cal Newport called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Almost the title of that book is, is, is all you need. But essentially what that book said was your ability to be free and, and get real reward from your career is, is actually a lot more to do with just how much demand you can you can generate for your services so if you want to go and work remotely you do need to be 
probably a lot more valuable than you might necessarily be if you were you if you were sort of working a a real a real world air quotes job because you know you're potentially an inconvenience to whoever you're working with in that you're only available over over Skype calls or or things like that. So my my first bit of advice would be basically as the title suggests be so good that they can't ignore you. Be so valuable that they can't ignore you. Because if, if you're one of 100 people who's begging for a, 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 a gig writing content that is, you know, often quite, quite small on the on the ROI front, then you're going to find it very difficult to kind of balance all that in in a, in a tropical climate and being very much kind of out of your comfort zone at the same time. I've, I've met a lot of people who sort of moved to Southeast Asia and thought, oh, it's fine. I'll figure it out as I go along. I'll, I'll go on the remote job sites, which are terrible, by the way. Which one should people be uh, steering clear of? Name and shame. They've, they've all got remote in the title. Let's, let's just put it that way. I don't, know if I, sh- I don't know if I should name and shame, but I, I, I tell you, though, there's, there's one site that um, I've, I've, I've never used it for getting work, but I know a few people who've had, who have. There's, uh, there's one site uh, called Dynamite Jobs, uh, which is which is particularly good. Mm-hmm. I know a few people that have that, that have used that. Right, um, good tip. And that's actually a reaction to everything that I'm complaining about. That they they thought the remote job sites were rubbish. Let's get let's let's make this a place for serious businesses and and serious professionals. It sounds like I'm selling them here. I'm honestly not getting a commission, but you have to a certain extent, I think, be somewhat entrepreneurial. You, you need you need to find all your own clients you need to think sort of really all, almost laterally and think well what can i offer what who are the, who are these people that might need what i want and and where are they online because a lot of a lot of clients you are essentially playing the video game of the internet and reaching out to them cold on linkedin or or you know, doing doing any kind of any kind of digital methods to find them, and that is in its in its own way a, a, a kind of a, a kind of entrepreneurial skill that is not kind of required if you're if you're working if you're working nine to five and you've you've got a pension. On that topic, I know that you used to work for London ad agencies, and that that taught you some interesting fun creative ways of getting work back in the day can you um talk a little bit about that yes ad agency land taught me a few things what 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 it taught me because my job description was being an an ad creative you you had to think outside the box in all for, for a variety of tasks but quite quite often if you wanted to get a a job at a particular agency if you didn't know someone at their agency or know knew someone who who knows someone you you would have to basically just get creative and i i did all kinds of weird things one one thing that i did which worked quite well and eventually got me a job at an agency was um i would send a handwritten letter typical typical kind of letter uh, dear creative director in insert name here uh, big big fan of your work etc etc that the twist would be was would that i would basically put that in an old amazon box <laughs> that's going to get open <laughs> exactly i'd save my amazon boxes and um and then stick a label on the out on the outside and uh 
finish finish up my letter saying uh, if, if you're wondering why this is in an old Amazon box, uh, it's because it's pretty hard to ignore an Amazon box with your name on it. Uh, so if you if you'd like to chat more about me writing things that are impossible to ignore, then then yeah, let's let let's chat. So that was that that was probably the most effective technique I had, and there, but there were all kinds of weird and wonderful ways that I I heard uh, either either colleagues or you know people that I went to ad school with uh, which some of them sounded like urban legends but they were all they they were all pretty popular I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you one that I know is true actually two young ad creatives uh, back in the day they they did their research on a particular creative director that they was dying to work for and they knew where he lived pretty much I don't think they knew his address but they knew where he lived and they knew that he drove to work. So they thought they would create adverts directed specifically at him for his drive to work. <laughs> so they, they put up a series of you know, three or four on lampposts along the way. Hello, Dave. That's a pseudonym. Hello, Dave. Enjoying your, your drive to work. And then something something on the next page um no you're not going mad uh we're two ag- advertising creatives who uh have made these for you and then a third picture if you think if you're impressed by uh our, our ability to engage with our to- target audience then um you know may- may- maybe you might might want to have, have a chat about us working with you, you know, basically just pitched him pitched him on the way to work did it work or was he completely it did out? well the story goes that he he invited them in and then he saw their work and didn't like their work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's that was their best that, work on the the stalky drivey thing was their best work. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that's I think that's that's why that story got got so popular. Another thing I once did is um, I got up in the middle of the night and stuck uh, little posters up around Soho. I wanted to demonstrate that uh, it was for a social agency. I wanted to demonstrate that I could sort of generate buzz and PR organically. And at the end of 2016, if you think back, a lot of people felt quite bad. Uh, Trump had just got elected and the general mood in November 2016 was, was one of despair. And then Brexit as well, certainly in London anyway. So I just I just made these posters saying, lost like those lost dog posters and then, in, mm-hmm, and then instead of the mm-hmm. picture of the dog i just wrote all hope and i i put those up around town mm-hmm. with a little twitter handle underneath and they yeah they they got retweeted and spoken about and and they ended up in the papers so mm-hmm. that i that was that was what I, I i planned anyway and then i showed that to this agency and they were like oh okay you're you're not just coming in with adverts you're you're going out there and doing the kind of thing that we would want to generate. I'm understanding social to some extent, knowing that that was going to get tweeted. Precisely. Now, from your beach stroke co-working space, how have you used similar ideas now you're a freelance? Yes. Well, the, the, the slight, the hack that I've, that I've used recently is uh, I'm, I'm in my late 20s, so I've been on my fair share of dating apps. I got my first one of my first ever copywriting clients uh, via a dating app, and it's—I I mean, I kind of—I kind of did it half by accident. But I mean, it, it sent, put put it this way: all the the weird techniques that I that I just mentioned, 
they are ultimately about sort of thinking laterally and finding a way of demonstrating your abilities and then and then also kind of getting through the gatekeepers so to speak because sending cold the main the main problem with sending something like cold emails is that people have many many ways to make sure that no one reads that email because no one likes reading emails but if you if you set up some kind of warm interaction with with someone who's on the other side of the gatekeeper then that's already a lot of the work done so if you are on a dating app and you suddenly find yourself talking with uh, the the marketing head of somewhere or a you know, marketing consultant which i did then that's that's already um you're already in a better better position than anyone sending cold emails and also on a lot of dating apps it says what someone's profession is so one one technique i'm i'm deadly serious here if you want to essentially use dating apps like you would LinkedIn. You could go on a dating app of your choice and search for yeah, who, who, creative, creative directors or, or uh, marketing heads, whoever, whoever you think's gonna, gonna possibly like you and want to talk to you. Have you found love as well? Or is, is it entirely a professional interest that you have in these people's profiles? I've certainly been on a lot of lovely dates. Let's, let's put it that way. Hi there, Claire here. Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit dorisandbertie.com for show notes, past episodes, a wealth of writing tips, and to claim your copy of my free ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Now, back to the interview. generously offered to help some of our listeners with some of their own challenges yes. finding work and uh, so I wanted to put them to you yes I've got a I've got a few uh, I've got a few nuggets so yeah let's let's go fantastic so this first case is actually from a friend of mine Martin who's mostly done marketing copy and a bit of internal comms uh, and his dream client is an ice cream parlour in Hatteras, North Carolina, called Happy Belly. So what advice would you give to Martin for winning Happy Belly as a client? Well, if you're going after an ice cream band, uh, an ice cream band, brand, you you want fun, engaging, and in slightly noisy way, both literally and metaphorically speaking, of of demonstrating that you can sell ice cream. Because um, I I had a look at the brand, and it's, it's it's quite a fun brand. So you've got to, I think you've got to have a little bit of, a little bit of fun, a little bit of chutzpah. Uh, so my immediate thought would be, try to get some results for your neighbourhood ice cream van. So I'm talking, speaking to local ice cream van drivers, offer to write placards to display on the side of their bus, and just see see what sales copy you could write for them. You even see if you can write lyrics to their jingle. Obviously, it'll. You'll have to have a little bit of a chat with them. Document the whole process. Make a, make a little case study to show Happy Belly. I mean, I mean, alternatively, if there aren't any ice cream vans hanging around, um, they're not. I don't. I certainly don't see as as many in London as I used to. Actually, I've seen I've seen a few lately. I think there might be. They might be. Oh, good. Having a bit of a resurgence. So. Oh, that, ma- that makes me very happy. Good, because oh, great! I've, well, I've been out of the country for so long. I. 
I haven't seen anything of the sort. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, talk, talk, to, talk to casual ice cream sellers and try and, try and get results for them mm-hmm. and dem- demonstrate that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be anything fancy. And also, even if there aren't any vendors, maybe even set up your own little ice cream stand and make get a good sales patter going it like like a mm. lemonade stand on the corner very informal get a get a friend to film you you know as long as at the end of the day as long as you're demonstrating you can sell ice cream uh, and you've got a bit of initiative and add the the metaphorical jazz hand then 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 happy belly would be mm-hmm. quite quite daft not to work not to work with you because i i doubt very many other people are doing that and you know if that sounds far fetched yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's irresistible. It, it, at the end of the day, you're trying to create a win-win situation. Well, Martin, I have my camera. I will come along and document it all for you if you want to do that. Our next listener is Ellen, who responded on Twitter. Now, her work, her copy work is mostly CPG and naming plus PR and community outreach. And her dream client would be the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles, uh, who are in fact right now seeking a digital copywriter? What could she do to get that gig? Well, I I took a little look at the the job description, and if if I were hell bent on getting this job, I'd throw up a, a website or a blog, and one or two social channels because I noticed they they're they're pretty big on the social front, and I would essentially try to get my own natural history content going and get get some kind of an audience going it would the audience wouldn't necessarily have to be huge but then obviously the bigger the better if you if you manage to get a thousand followers in a in a month then then that definitely shows your chops but if you can demonstrate that you can write content that's like what the natural history museum uh site and social pages currently have so you know dinosaur articles infographics of of bugs etc Make make sure that you're doing content like that, but then maybe make it twenty percent forward. I what something that, that they would publish, but but even better written, even more shareable. And then, if that when that gets the attention of the Natural History Museum, you 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 then have that you then can essentially prove to them that you're doing what they want, but better. And if, if you can if you can demonstrate that if you can if you can do what they are doing but better, the Natural History Museum can't really say no. They would they would be daft to say no. That's another irresistible proposition. She also asked though, what what skills do you think she should work on? Email, Mailchimp, AB Studies, UX, SEO, social media. Is it just simply a matter of out history museuming the history museum, or does she need to work on those sort of technical skills to increase her market marketability? Do you think? Well, I think in the case of the Natural History Museum, you'd uh, I, I I looked at the at the site, and it seems like their 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 social skills, the ability to build social following and and good SEO skills are what what they like. So in the I think in the case of in the case of the Natural History Museum, that's that those would be the skills to really beef up but in in general you know what what kind of what kind of skills would she would she want to beef up if she weren't going for the natural history museum i think that'll be harder to say because each each client will demand different things one thing i do hear all over the place though 
is that it never hurts to learn SEO. SEO always, always seems to be there in some shape or form. My third and final person who's asking for advice is Dave, who's actually one of my students on Udemy.com. And he's actually been working in software development, but he wants to make this move into copywriting. And he's a bit teched out, he told me. And he'd really like to work with the music industry, with manufacturers and services in the music industry. So the examples he gave was maybe writing sales emails for a company called Sweetwater or case studies for a company called Natural Instruments or Arturia. Any thoughts for Dave? Yes, I think this would be a little a little bit more straightforward. Uh, if you're if you're writing things like sales emails, basically, I would sign up to their email list, get a feel for that, stalk their head of marketing on LinkedIn, and just rewrite their emails, for, forward them to the marketing head, and the the idea would be eventually the marketing head could go, okay, well maybe you can offer some alternative subject lines for this email, and then all of a sudden you've got you've got an opportunity to to prove yourself and, and get results that you know, they can they can split test it against against their current options i mean you you might need to, to pester them a little bit but it, as long as you're saying hey here's something that can improve your open rate give it a go at the very least you'll be on their radar and possibly get you a job and um oh and i also what one other thought is I also noticed that on one or two of the social channels, for, I think for, I think it was for Native Instruments, they actually retweet a lot of uh, content that's been created by the people that use their products. So I mean, I I if if, if Dave's a, a big fan of of their products, then if he can create content using their products that just has has a far higher engagement rate than what they're normally posting. If he if he makes that regularly, you know, tags them if he if he uh, releases it on Twitter. There you go. You're demonstrating that you can that you can do a job uh, before they've even hired you. Excellent advice. Look, Robbie, it's been so great talking to you, and I think you've been really really generous with your ideas and expertise. So I'm so grateful. Before I let you go, I'd just like to expose you to our quick fire round, which is all about your own habits and processes as a writer. So first of all, what fuels your writing, coffee, tea, or something stronger? Uh, all three at various points in in the process. <laughs> uh, coffee to get me going if I need it, tea if I want to meditate on something, and then occasionally something stronger if I just need to shake things up. Alcohol is the only thing I've I've ever known to be a, a pretty reliable cure for writer's block, I find. When do you like to write? Are you a lark or an owl? Definitely, definitely a lark. I, I can't really write well past lunch. Hours, hours before lunch are worth at least twice hours after lunch so yeah I'm I'm up up and out of out of bed by 6 30 normally and I like I like to hit the gym and get get as much as I can done before I eat are you a planner or a plunger do you draft a detailed outline or you do you dive right in I am definitely a planner well I, it depends what it is actually I'm usually a planner and um and also I think when it comes to conversion copy that's almost by definition because because you're you're interviewing people you're arranging data you're you're using spreadsheets to to put in 
to, to basically plan what you're going to say. I have, I have written articles here and there, and quite often you can just dive in and, and just, just let it flow. But I am at least 75% a planner. Would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered? It is pretty clear, but that's only because I don't own many things. I live I live out of a out of a rucksack and I have a laptop and I work you know work in cafes or co-working spaces so the 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 quick answer is is clear but if I think back to when I was at school and you know when I when I my life was a bit more stationary my desk was covered in stationery and uh, so I I think the real answer is is cluttered I've cheated my way to organization essentially Musical silence. Silence all the way. Who's your favourite writer? Um, Chuck Polinick is is my favourite writer. That may change in the next few weeks because it's it's only just dawned on me how incredible Winston Churchill was. You you know you know the quotes. Obviously, you you know the man in his way with words. And I'd always known that he was a prolific writer, but I in literally in in the past week I suddenly thought oh, hang on a minute I, I really should read some some of his work so I've, I've just ordered on Amazon History of the English Speaking Peoples by Winston mm-hmm. Churchill another another reason why I'm a huge fan of his is I, I don't think there are many people that could go and get through several bottles of wine and then <laughs> and then just bash out a few thousand words of genius Finally, your best writing tip. Um, exercise, get out into nature and just, if, if, you're, if you're struggling, do what I think is the opposite of writing, which is get into your body and, and get, get physical. Gets the endorphins going, gets the, gets the dopamine and serotonin and all those lovely chemicals going. And it just, if I ever have, have a blockage, then um, yeah, just, just exercise and or nature and sort of, being present and experiencing life usually usually helps. Robbie King, thank you for chatting to me on the podcast today. It's been fun and entertaining and really, really useful stuff that people can take away and hopefully get lots of lovely client work. Thank you. Thank you very much, Claire. If you enjoyed the show please do subscribe on itunes stitcher or wherever you listen and if you think the show deserves to continue please 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 leave a review while you're there it'll really help get the show noticed as ever visit dorisandbertie.com for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life bye till the next episode